0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to The Legendarium Podcast. This is Craig, your, you know, uh, lovely and talented host for the day. I am, I if we're just considering other panelists, then I'm flying solo today. Luckily, I'm not actually flying solo because I have with me today James Kennedy, the author of uh, a forthcoming or a recently published book, Dare recently to Know. Recently published. Recently published, Dare to Know. I've heard it described as a metaphysical brain bender. Mm. Uh, <laughs> James uh so James has requested that I hold off on the insult. Uh and we're going to do it at the end of the episode. I'll see if I can come up with uh with a, a decent insult for you as I get to know you over the course of the episode. Uh so you know, people can look forward to that. You know what I'll do? I'll I'll intro when we get to where we talk a little bit about your book at the end of the episode. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll insult either you or your book. I don't know. One of the Oh, two. okay.
1: Yeah, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down what I think your insult is going to be right now. And then we're <laughs> going to see how accurate I am. So I, okay, I, okay, all right. I'm writing it down right now. Hold on.
0: This feels like a game show. You know, like you're, it's like the newlywed game. You're going to hold up the card and, and we'll see if, if we're right. Those listening on the podcast, you'll just have to take our word for it. He is actually writing something down. Okay. Um, so here,
1: I, here's a, Paper, okay. All right. You see it. I'm going to make a design on it there, so you know it's that paper. All right, good. So
0: James, you are here today to to get into a specific topic with me. Um, and after we talk about this topic, we're going to get into your book, and you know we'll we'll talk about uh, what you just published. Um, but the topic is predestination. Yes. In- Sci-fi, fantasy, literature, or I think just media generally, right? In speculative fiction of whatever type, um, so predestination um, is a recurring bugaboo of mine,
1: right? Oh, we we talk okay. about
0: this just because it's uh, I don't know it comes up a lot, or it seems to come up a lot in in the books and movies and whatnot that I really enjoy. So it's uh, so it's an interesting topic to me. So before we get into it, of course, everybody should go to thelegendarium.com, support the show by clicking on the Patreon link, go check us out on Discord, join in the conversation and also go check out uh, James's
1: books. Uh, What's your website, James? Jameskennedy.com and the books are Dare to Know, which is the newest one and uh, The Order of Oddfish, which is uh, YA fantasy from a couple years ago.
0: Okay. All right. So yes, please do go check those out and I'll put those in the show notes. Now, Predestination. Before we get into this, uh, yeah. like I was saying, this is uh, this is a, a pet topic of mine for a while now. Uh, it goes back a few years. What is predestination? Can you give us a good working definition for this conversation?
1: Um, let's see. Um, the elect, whom God has chosen, will go to heaven, and all else will be damned. Oh, oh wait! You, you want something other than the Calvinist definition? I was. Yeah, you went straight Calvinist.
0: I, I so I'm thinking more like uh you know like f- physics based. Uh, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So
1: predestination. So yeah, the, the 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 future is fixed. Um, if given, like I guess in 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 terms of physics, you'd call it determinism. If right. you know, given a, a number of laws and given the, you know the, a complete um. Uh, uh, knowledge of like where everything is, is in the universe and uh, you know how fast it's going or whatever you can precisely calculate where everything is going to be in the future, um, and so th- the future is fixed. Or th- there's a relativity version of it called the block universe, which like um, because uh, you know uh, the speed of light is fixed, uh, that means that um, you, that the future. I mean, it's it's a complicated uh, physics argument, but that means that the universe is just a block. That can't change, um, and um, um, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> no, I was, please. I was, I was I was a physics and philosophy major in college. Uh, oh, th- wow. There's a lot of uh, a good uh, um, science, th- th- there's a lot of good accounts of the block universe. Uh, people can look it up. But yes, yeah, so that's another. For- so it's, it doesn't just have to be Newtonian physics. It can also be like relativistic physics.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So basically, what you're telling me is that in the next 30 to 45 minutes, you are going to break my brain. That's, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> really, really, James.
1: Uh, well, I, it never have has it been said with less relish. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Really, really. <laughs> uh,
0: so this is, so it's, it's predestination in, you know, whether you want to do it in religious terms or, or physical terms, uh, predestination is the kind of, kind of the opposite of the concept of free will. Yeah, uh, something
1: in the future has to happen.
0: Right. No matter it's, what. No matter what you do, no matter what choice you think you're making, this thing will happen. And it, it, it gets down to, I mean, you like we're talking about physics. You can get down to the molecular level, like you say, if you mm-hmm. can, with perfect accuracy, understand the, the what would you say, the velocity of all things? Yeah, um, if,
1: if, oh, wow, that, that's a nice book title. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, no, if, if you know the state of the universe at one point, you know all the rules that govern it. Um, and you can trust those rules and you can trust that knowledge that you can calculate what the state of the universe right. is going to be at some future time. Now, quantum mechanics is, is different because that is statistical um, and not uh, they're totally deterministic. But, but let's leave that aside for now. Okay. So now that we've
0: got something of an understanding of what it is, what, how does this figure into fiction? We're, we're talking about this vis-a-vis speculative fiction. And I've got have, some titles yeah. some you know some uh, books, some shows movies in mind that i that I either like or hate with this concept but but why don't
1: I turn you loose on this I absolutely have something to say about this but before I do, I want to know why you called it your bugaboo <laughs> uh, just because
0: it uh, it really does mess with me um it's Okay, I'll, I'll give you an example then. Uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article for a national magazine uh, that was a review of devs. Um, mm-hmm. And I wrote the article, I, I wrote the review, not because I do a lot of reviews for national magazines, but because I had a buddy there um, and he, or well, Jack Butler, I guess uh, listeners know Jack Butler from the show. He's been on a few times. And I, I wrote him and I said, hey, I just watched devs on mm-hmm. Hulu. Uh, So this was, you know, a couple of years ago at this point, Mm -hmm. I just watched devs on Hulu and I can't like, it was one of those itchy fingers kind of things. Like I couldn't rest. (laughs) I couldn't sleep until I, Uh uh, until I wrote something down. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's, so what I ended up writing was basically, you know, everything that we know seems to point toward determinism that you know everything is predetermined everything is predestined uh everything we know about physics well i don't know maybe quantum physics aside um but everything we seem to know about physics points toward this and yet it's a horrible way to live one's life as Uh as though you have no choice as though you know these things must happen you know it's so it's kind of it feels icky even well, if it might be true. storytelling right?
1: Yes. It's anti-storytelling because uh, stories are all about choices that people make, right? And if all, everything is predetermined, there's not much of a story. Um, and it, that, yeah, it, so if, if, people,
0: if people have watched devs, and I, I highly encourage everybody to do so. It's an amazing show. Uh, but that is kind of the, the whole crux of the show is do any of these characters have a choice in what they're doing? Or uh-huh. are we simply on the tram lines of history barreling toward some inevitable conclusion. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that you dislike uh, predestination as a plot device. It's that you just don't like how it makes you feel philosophically.
0: <laughs> but that's true. That's true. Although I should say it it does feel like um, if we're talking about it as a plot device, it can be very cop-outy. Yeah, let's go with yeah. that. Sure, cop-outy. It can be. Um, the, the great example from this show, you know, people, longtime listeners, uh, who've heard us talk for years and years will remember the wheel of time. This comes up a lot in the wheel of time. And it's like, well, so why, why did this happen? Well, Mm -hmm. uh, Taviran, you know, because it had to, because it was kind of predetermined. Um, you know, and that always bugged me a little bit,
1: but anyway, yeah, go on. Well, okay. So here's my take on predestination. Um, I think there is it narratively. Not philosophically, but in terms of stories. I think there's four types that I can identify. Uh, there's durable predestination, fragile predestination, volitional predestination, and broken predestination. Oh my! I think these are four ways that stories can approach it in, in a fruitful way. So the durable one is the classic one. And it kind of goes all the way back to Oedipus, right? Like Oedipus is told, hey, you're going to uh, kill your father and uh, marry your mother. Right, and he's like, "I'm going to do all these things to keep that from happening," and then it ends up happening. Like, there's nothing that could. I mean, you know about Oedipus. Oedipus sure, Rides. sure, sure. So, so um, the, like there's a classic Twilight Zone episode. A man travels back in time, knowing there's going to be a fire at this one place. He goes to like stop the fire, and he knocks over the lantern, and that causes the fire. Right. right? So it's like the um the the character here's what's going to happen they take steps to keep it from happening and it is those very steps that cause the thing to happen i think it's a classic almost like golden age of science fiction way to approach it and there's kind of like a essential powerlessness to this right um and it kind of gives irony but it's kind of like a cheap irony right like it's it's kind of like once you've heard the joke you you know you kind of get it so like and it's even like so when arthur dent and ford prefect like travel back to Earth, uh, the in life, the universe, and everything, or, or uh, the end of, rest of the end of the universe to Earth's prehistory. They realize, oh, we're the ones who displaced the Earthlings who were originally here, and we're the ones who kind of messed up Earth, and it was always going to be this way. Um, and so, um, I guess the subset of this is the thing that happens just as it was prophesized, but just not in the way you expected. So like they said, Anakin Skywalker, oh you're supposed to bring balance to the force. Well he eventually does. You <laughs> just know. not and in the way that yeah, not what they thought. Y- yeah. So um and so that you can get like irony there. Yeah, first he turns into Darth Vader and he does all these awful things, and then finally he throws the Emperor down a hole and then he brings balance to the force. What oh, and let's uh- just- Pretend that the sequels did not exist.
0: No, no, no. I was actually going to go back uh, to the prequels. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, No, because uh, I always read that as uh, the Jedi were idiots. They thought they understood the prophecy. And the prophecy was that the dark and light were not in balance. And he goes about murdering the whole light side of the force, you know, so that they're in balance. Yeah.
1: yeah, so there, I mean, that's just another, another way of the, like the same point. Like, it gets uh, balanced, just not in the way you thought. Yeah, right. every single Jedi gets killed except for like, Luke is hanging out, and that's it. But yeah, <laughs> balance. Uh, um, and so um, so in both cases, no matter what, the future is set, but to make a good story, maybe it comes true in an unexpected or ironic way. Okay. And so that's uh, durable. And then fragile. Um, so do you have like, – uh, I mean, do you want to chime in on that, or should I just go on? To the no, go –
0: yeah, I'm, I'm actually very interested in what fragile would be.
1: So Fragile is um, only by people keeping ignorant of what will happen, will it happen. So this is like the foundation novels of Isaac mm, Asimov. Mm. Uh, Harry Seldon makes up the science of psychohistory. It's true broadly for many people, but it's not, it doesn't take into account individuals doing things because by and large, history is made by large historical forces, and not people. And um, but it's crucial that the, that Carry Seldon does not leave the First Foundation any knowledge of psychohistory itself, the very science that is guiding them, because they can't... If they know what they're going to be doing, then they would change what they were doing, and then they, they would not follow his plan. And so that's when like the mule comes along in Foundation and Empire... And he's just one guy that disrupts the plan. And then you have the second foundation comes in and they kind of like manage the first foundation to keep them ignorant of the plan. That's the only way the plan's going to work is if they don't know what the plan is.
0: Okay, so um, it's, a, it's it, a Schrodinger's determinism. I don't know, yes, something like that.
1: You, you, we well, you also have it in uh, the Golden Compass, the historic materials. A Lyra has to act without knowledge. Like a uh, 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 council Lensilius is talking to Farter Corum at the at the council, and he'd say like oh the witches have talked about this child for centuries past talking about lyra but she must fulfill this destiny in ignorance of what she is doing because only in her ignorance can we be saved so um it's fragile like it's predestined but i think it can go wrong and people have to people have have to be ignorant for it to work and i think this is different than durable
0: right okay all right yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense so in durable there is nothing that can change it it is going to happen end of story uh, in fragile determinism, then it's 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 what's the uh, what's the observational paradox? I can't remember the the name of it. Like if you observe something, you change it There principle. you go, the uncertainty principle. Yeah, um, <laughs> that by observing it, you change it. Uh, yeah, is so, that kind of admit,
1: along those lines? Yeah, and I guess a subset of a fragile predestination is maybe kind of not one hundred percent certain predestination, like Minority Report. You got three precogs. Right. Every once in a while, one of them will disagree that's the minority report, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, like, um, I have to say, I, I don't know if you've done an episode about this, but I feel that the, and I don't know if I'm saying something that will get people mad at me, but I think the Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg movie version is a better story than the original Philip K. Dick. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Uh, and I also, <laughs> I feel the same way about Total Recall. Uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger version, it's better than the original short story. They cleaned it up. It's, it's a better story. Yeah. Um, I love Philip K. Dick. Um, but um, but like so, but okay. Tom Cruise's Anderton character says like I'm not going to murder this person. Like they've they've got me pinned for a murder, but I didn't do it. I'm going to get the Minority Report. But then when he gets to the actual point of where he's gonna have you you've seen Minority Report? Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a, and where he's, see, he's at the point where he, they have seen the future. He says, like, Oh my God, I am going to kill this guy, and that like he, he kind of assents to this future, right? Okay. Although he doesn't end up killing him, right. but like the thing, him shooting at the guy does happen. Just as it was predicted, um, and then the rest of the story kind of cleans up and does other things and gets to broader issues. But that brings me to the third kind of, which is volitional predestination. Okay, um, you're confronted with this predestination and you actively assent to it, um, and this is like arrival. So
0: is this um, is this um, functionally different than the other two? Like in a, in a this would be durable. It's just that there is... Yeah, I'm uh, talking there's...
1: narratively. Oh, narratively. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, the, uh, so when I say narratively, I mean like how sure. do people emotionally react to it and how do the characters change their behavior it. based on what's going on? And so, uh, so volitional does not usually go for cheap irony. It's, it kind of goes back to... So Nietzsche has that idea of eternal recurrence. He's like, okay if there's like limited matter in this universe and limited space then every combination of matter must have happened before an infinite number of times it's going to happen again an infinite number of times in the future therefore everything that you do you've done countless times before and you will do countless times again and what nietzsche and this is an old you know thing going back to the greeks but nietzsche what he said is like and the, you know the mark of somebody who's great is that they assent to it actively he said yes th- i'm living the kind of life that this is what i want and i um i I mean, this is a, like a really vulgarized version of what he was saying, but the, to have the strength of spirit to say, I actively assent to what I'm doing that I've done a million times before and I will do it a million times again. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of what Arrival is, um, which is based on that Ted Chang uh, short story, The Story of Your Life, which is like Louise, the main character, once she, she, she get, begins to speak the language of the aliens – she becomes kind of functionally omniscient. She knows her entire timeline. She knows that the daughter that she's going to have is going to die very young, and she knows that if she gets together with the Jeremy Renner character, she's going to have this daughter. And she actively sense anyway. to it, yeah. And and, and um and, and that's volitional. Uh, I, I and and so I think that. Like I know I'm going to get my heart broken, and I'm going for it anyway. Um, and so I think that is of a very deep uh, version. I'm kind of going from less deep to more deep as, as I go on. And I think the best one is broken predestination, which is the very concept of predestination gets destroyed by the actions of the story. Um, and there, it, it's, it's a symptom of a breakdown of a larger system. Um, Isaac Asimov has a, a, a book that's, I, I don't know if many people read it right now, it's called the end of eternity. I don't know that uh, Which is, about a like a kind of a, a company that their job is to go around in history and kind of uh, tidy things up um, and and keep everything such that their company will end up existing. Uh, I've I, I heard this a long time ago, but I, I and I, then the one guy you know, for love, you know, decides to kind of like break the law because he realizes that this woman that he loves is going to, you know, uh, have to be snuffed out for the company. And so I, I don't remember everything exactly that happens, but the actions of the story lead to the company Eternity being destroyed, and and like humanity is kind of freed, and and like now people like have freedom. Uh, it's kind of like that the one ending of his Dark Materials. Um, like it seems that like what the church wants and and the magisterium wants in that book is that like, oh, we're going to get rid of Justin everybody's just to become a deterministic automaton. Mm -hmm. And that's what they want. And Lyra's actions free everybody and kind of destroy determinism. Um, that's one of the reasons why it's a great ending for me. Um, and, uh, uh, frankly, uh, my latest book, Dare to Know, has (laughs) broken predestination in it. Yeah. How convenient for me. Uh, um, the, 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 premise of it is that there's a company that can tell you exactly the time and date that you're going to die. Uh, this, the main character is this, uh, salesman who works for the company. Um, he, there's one, just one rule. You can't look yourself up. Uh, his life is not going very well. One day he does look in a fit of desperation. He does look himself up and he finds out that he had died 26 minutes ago. Um, the algorithm never fails. So why does it fail only for him? That sets off this journey of like, across America and through his own memories to find out why this seemingly irref- like, invincible math only fails for him. Um, and so uh, th- that's, that's another way. To, they, they, the, some kind of system is breaking down, um, whether it's the End of Eternity or uh, His Dark Materials or Dare to Know in which, uh, in which a a new thing is being born that makes nonsense of predestination. So when you write or read for that matter,
0: uh, when you come across, uh, predestination as a narrative device, um, Uh do you, I don't know, does it, oh gosh, I lost my question. I I had a really, really good, it was very deep. It was a very deep question. No, (laughs) do you, when you, when you come across these things, um, how do you feel like it can be used as a cop out? What's the difference between it being a cop out versus it being uh, an interesting storytelling device? Uh, does does it have to have um, an allegorical, you know, something to say? Uh, or no, I, I think
1: I think this is it. If if the concept of predestination is just uh, is not interrogated, then it's a cop out. If like the, the something is predestined and then the action of the story is about predestination, then I think it's interesting. If it's just like oh there is a uh, a um if it there's a prophecy that you're going to be the chosen one you're going to defeat the wizard oh it turns out it's true, great, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know like that, that doesn't grapple with the idea of predestination itself, and so th- there there it doesn't have depth. Right? right? Like, like, like cause, cause I think once you bring out that queen in your narrative chess game, you have to play it <laughs> right. <laughs> like like it, it's too big of an idea not to immediately crowd out almost every other idea, including like good and evil. Yeah, no, that's,
0: um, this is what I, I, I was getting at this in my review of devs as well, where it's, it, we, it, a lot of people have heard of this concept uh, every once in a while, we talk about this idea of, of determinism, but we tend not to examine it very closely because mm-hmm. of just how big that question is. I mean, it's exactly like you said it. It it comes down to if you if you believe that everything is determined in your uh, what what you call it. The, I mean, I know you're speaking in narrative terms, but if everything is durably predetermined, uh-huh. then uh, then LOL, nothing matters. You know, uh-huh. is there a God? Doesn't matter. Where did I come from? Yeah. Doesn't matter. What is good and evil? Doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Cause we're in a machine. Exactly. In which it doesn't matter what we think. And so if you, so if you look at it too closely, you know, it's like the sun, it's going to, it's going to burn out your retinas and you can't see anything else, you know, for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. And so we, we tend not to, yeah, to dig in too deep. And I know I count myself among that. Like I said, I, I feel like it's, it's no way to live my life feeling like I have no control over it. So functionally, I have to act like free will is the, the thing, even if perhaps yes. it's not.
1: Yeah. And I, I, like, we don't know everything about physics. And there's a lot about, I mean, especially quantum physics, that is statistical, which means it's not predictable, or at least like not in terms of the physics that we have. Mm-hmm. And so there's room for un, like, undeterministic, unpredestined things to happen. Um, at least in, on a quantum level, um, but the uh, I think yeah I I don't uh, in terms of like what I want to know uh, and how would I live my life that was one of the things I had to grapple in, with and dare to know okay somebody goes and they finds out their death date um, what and let's say it's forty years from now what do you do if you're a smart ass you go point a gun to your head right now and you fire it and see what happens. Right. Um, And so, and and so, and as an author, if you're going to have an outrageous premise like that, you have to grapple with it. Like, um, and so I made up this idea that people who try to mess with the math, um, they feel like the the gun inevitably jams, you know, you inevitably throw up all those pills that you had taken. Uh, Like, and and then you realize that you never had free will, but you only realize it then. And you feel like your entire, like at, at that, from that point onward, you're kind of like a like a flesh robot with a mind inside it that can't do anything right. because everything is just moving automatically. But if, that only happens if you try to mess with the math. Um, but the, the thing is, how do we even know that somebody's tried to mess with the math? That how do we when you're talking to other people? So in the book, it's called uh, the name of the co- the company is Sapere Aude, which is um, Latin for "Dare to Know." Uh, like it's called Sapere Aude syndrome. If you people don't even know who has it and who's not, who's a flesh robot and who's not because not everybody knows who actually looked up their date and tried to mess with it or mess with somebody else's date. But um, people, every, so people find out almost as an afterthought that free will was fake and predestination is gone. But the thing is, we have so many r- truths that are revealed to us by science that are so alienating that we have to ignore them. We have to ignore how vast the universe is, because otherwise we would go crazy. <laughs> we have to ignore the weirdness of quantum mechanics and what's implied by it. Otherwise, we'd go crazy. So- Uh, So um, you're, hang on,
0: let's, let's chill there for a second, because what I was saying is that, is that embracing determinism will drive us crazy. Uh, And Uh it sounds like you're saying kind of the opposite. Once you embrace random or not, yeah, randomness, once you embrace chance or choice, that's going to drive us crazy. Is that right? No,
1: no, no, no. It's that once you realize that you, well, I guess in a way, once you realize what your fate is. And then you try to mess with it. That's when math mm. shows you who the boss is. <laughs> right. Um, and, 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 and so I guess it's half one, half the other uh, of what both of us are saying. I see. Uh, like it, w- if you take that act of will after you know, that's what gets you. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, but even like down to the, like there are creatures that are fornicating and excreting on our face all the time. <laughs> if we really thought about that, like millions of them. And and, and if we really thought about that all the time, it would drive us crazy. And so like, we we can't handle all the truth. And so we have to kind of construct a a smaller truth around ourselves that makes a universe that we can live in. Um, And so, um, yeah. All right. All right. So let me ask you this. Um,
0: Are there any stories that you've come across in whatever media format? Are there any stories that really make a hash of this? That uh, that you feel like, oh man, this I, I really hate the way it got handled here. Because uh, it sounds like you've got a few that you like. I was curious if there yes. if there are any examples of oh here's how not to do it.
1: Um, I think. Oh, that, and I, I'm actually, I'm putting you on the spot asking there. You're Go negative, man. You're asking me to go negative. <laughs> uh, um, like, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of bad time travel stories. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I kind of forget them as soon as I read them. Like, I mean, it, sometimes, and I'm, when, I, when I said those four versions, I didn't say, like, okay, all durable, like, time travel is bad. Like, for instance, the, the time travel in uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban mm. is durable, uh, but it's very satisfying. What isn't satisfying is that they just say, okay, we're going to put away the time turner. Right. <laughs> you, you know, like, this, This. Uh, I guess, the, okay, uh, here's a chance for me to be negative. Uh, um, <laughs> You have this force that could change everything, and the only person who has it is a student so that can go to class so that Hermione can take more classes right. like this kind of universe like like destroying technology, and then they said, oh yeah well, she like okay, now we're gonna put it away no, I think
0: that's uh, a very um, like, very popular critique right <laughs> of those yeah those yeah books. so yeah i'm
1: not the fir- I'm not the first no. person to say that, but the um i i guess but I think that that is also the book in which she stopped being jokey and started being self-consciously epic. You you know, like early on in these beloved like franchises, not franchises, like series, you'll have a moment in which like the author was not being so serious yet. And it's kind of feels a little bit fun and open. Like uh, famously in The Hobbit, like they talk about, oh, at one point, somebody's orcs or goblins head got knocked off and it went into a hole. That's how the game (laughs) of golf was invented. Right, and it's just like this silly one-off joke, and you would never read that in Fellowship of the Ring or anything. Like that. It's, it's like a Hobbit joke, you know what I mean? Because he's just getting used to this universe, and he's just starting, and he, so he's kind of approaching this jokey, approachable manner. Similarly, in the first couple of Harry Potter books, there are these kind of like things that are done like just for a laugh, and then it's like once you get to book seven, you're like, wait a second, if these things in the earlier books were true, the, the, then like why would not they using this later to confront these very serious problems? And But I think if you were serious from the jump, it wouldn't be as good. You kind of have to ease it in with a kind of like a jokey way uh, into these worlds. It, it kind of makes it more approachable. I like the golf joke in The Hobbit. Uh, I, it shows that he's human. It, it's kind of like when you're playing Zork and, and, and like there's like a an electronic dam, but there's also an elvish sort of great antiquity. There's like a suburban house in the middle of a forest. But there's also a troll living underneath it. Like, it's just a mishmash. And then, then like, as those Zork games went on, they became more and more self-consciously a uh, kind of fantasy thing that was its own enclosed universe. And then it became less fun. It was not kind of shaggy and open. Um, So, uh, yeah. Yeah, all right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, No, I like the... uh, That goes out to all three
0: Zork fans in your audience. (laughs) Oh, please. I'm guessing we're going to get a few zork comments on uh discord. Oh man, I love that game. Played it all the time. Uh no, I definitely played Zork when I was a kid. Uh was it Raise the Bloody Knife or you know, I don't know. Something like that. Uh oh shoot. Now you got me on Zork. I honestly forgot where I was with that. But uh okay. All right. So it, it, are there any other directions we want to go with this? Um it, maybe maybe like words of caution to aspiring writers out there who are going to you know possibly grapple with this topic. You already said if you're gonna if you're gonna include it, don't brush by it, right? Dive in. But any, right. any other words of advice?
1: I, I would say like uh um the durable predestination, I think that story has played out. Like I think it worked in uh like the like durable with no irony. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Like it worked in Prisoner of Azkaban because it's a children's right, you know what I mean? But but um, it's like that feels very golden age Robert Heinlein kind of move or like like a Twilight Zone kind of thing, and it does not feel interesting anymore. I guess the way that you could do durable now is make it so complicated, like in that Shane Carruth film Primer. Uh, You know, know I don't think I ever saw that one. uh, it's a everybody on Discord is going to go crazy over this. Sorry, it it, it came out like. Uh, I don't know, like about twelve years ago, uh, the guy like made it for like like ten thousand dollars, and then it won the Cannes Film Festival or something like that. And um, it's about like these. Like he wrote the script. He he didn't have any money, so he did Uh, the music. He starred in it. Uh, Um. And oh, you're looking up now. Okay. And um. And and, like it's it was made. And then he did another movie called Upstream Color, which is even better. Um. But he um. But that's like just like it's durable, but it's so complicated and there's so many timelines that you can just like like you can approach it like an engineer uh and, and just like spend a lot of time puzzling over it that's one way to do i think durable like make it super complicated or like i guess looper is a durable right. one isn't it uh, but it, I, I think it's uh it's fun and it's actiony um and although it's so ludicrous like so the whole reason that they time travel is to get rid of corpses you know, they, they, it's they, this they, ridiculous. there's a hit it's, out on somebody. They send them back in time to get shot. That's it. That's it. They, it the, for all the uses of time travel, that's well, the it's one. a bit like you're saying
0: with Hermione, like, Oh yeah. So you can take an extra three classes.
1: Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you can kill a guy. I mean, the thing is like, but then it kind of, I guess here's a way to do durable, grant the premise and then use it for fun. That's what I was so going to say. I really yeah, it. yeah, I was
0: going to say we, uh, did, uh, back to the future is you know you don't look at it too close because the premise falls apart pretty quick but uh-huh. why would you look at it that close you're there to have some fun let's have some fun with
1: it right yeah so uh yeah let's let's put some cowboys in in, in movie three why not <laughs> yeah. all right cool i always want to make a western okay let's do it <laughs> uh- so any uh yeah any final thoughts on pre yeah i i would I would say that I, I I think durable is the least interesting. Fragile is more interesting. Volitional, I think, is emotionally deep. Um, like I embrace this thing that is going to happen. And broken is a thing that I have not seen enough mm. of and I think is interesting. I, I think we live in a time now of collapsing systems. Um, and I guess when we were talking about the Star Wars prequels, I mean, that's all about like a a... a, 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 a non-functional administrative state that does not see the dangers that are right in front of it as it collapses. Right. I think we're kind of living that right now. And so anything about a collapsing system, which I guess upstream color is about too, um, like is interesting to me. I think those are the times that we're living in. And so um, they, uh, um, and, and, it's something, and there's something freeing about the idea of like, you know, fate itself has been overthrown. I I, I, I bet there's a lot of... Books and movies that I'm, I, 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 are not springing to mind that do this, and maybe it is more of a trope than I thought. Um, yeah, but it's, it's the one that I'm most attracted to. When you say
0: to. it that way, you know, oh, you know, because of one character's choice, everything, you know, the system falls apart. I think when you put it that way, yes, it sounds like a trope that you could point to any number of things on, but, 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 but yeah, it's but a little bit just, different when you're talking it, about the institution of
1: predeterminism versus like a government. Yeah, yeah not just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like not just fragility of a timeline. I mean, fragility of the concept of predestination. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, like like if, like a metaphysical concept is put into question, right. um, and 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 suddenly, like people are freed or become more real, or uh, that, that 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 seems interesting to me.
0: I agree. Um, I agree. All right. So, uh, all you kids out there listening, this is your new assignment: is to write a really good story using one of these four. <laughs> concepts of uh, of predeterminism. And, uh, you know, I've got my insult for you now, James. Okay. This is uh, this is how we're going to uh, recap what you mentioned. Okay. If this were the beginning of the episode, I would say uh, I'm your host, Craig Hanks. And with me, uh, you know, when I started this discussion, I was feeling volitional and durable, but now I am quite fragile and <laughs> nigh into broken. Uh, James Kennedy, everybody. <laughs> All right. So there you go. What, what was, oh, what was wow. my insult going to be? Okay. It is. Okay. I can't, I can't read it. Your screen is too blurry. You're going to have to read it for us. I, nope. I hate that you were such oh. a smart ass that you thought you could read my, in, or <laughs> predict my insult. <laughs> nice. Uh, that should have been the one that I, I wish I had done that now. So. I was trying to be too clever.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, but I, I was I was too much of a smartass. <laughs> uh, um.
0: So, okay, tell us a little bit more about your book then. Uh, so the book is Dare to Know. Now, you've told us a little bit about yes. kind of the premise. Is there anything else you want to elevator or pitch to us?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, yeah, um, the, the, it's about... Um, it it's about this idea of like, you know, knowing the exact time and date that you're gonna die. And the reason I and I wrote it and I kinda wanted to write it in the, this uh kind of like vein of like something like it's it's an emotional story, but it has it but there's like a, a science fiction kind of a premise mm. to it. Like something like like uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind kind of thing. Uh, um in like in which like the or or like being John Malkovich or arrival. Like there, there's some kind of sci-fi thing happening, but it's what it's really about is like The relationships between these characters and although there's a lot of weird science in it um and and so one of the reasons that i wrote it is um kind of like and i kind of said this elsewhere but like the 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 weird way that computers have been making me feel since about 2012 um like like uh like i grew up as a like programming computers Mm -hmm. like i had my trusty atari 800 i would program video games stuff like that i was a software engineer for a while and then i and I really loved the early internet, and then I started to hate it. Um, and, like, and I stopped being a computer programmer. And I and I think it's it around 2012 in which like the internet or computers in general for me stopped feeling like this kind of place of kind of like freedom or exploration or liberation. They started feeling this place where you're being surveilled, and there's propaganda coming at you, and there's advertisements coming at you, and it, it, it started to feel icky. And I thought like, what if you know? And so much information is being Gathered about us all the t- all the time, and a lot of it is uh, uh, used in ways that we don't want. And I thought, what if like the most kind of uh, intimate thing about you could be gathered, like the time and date that you die, and then that just becomes another banal data point? And like kind of what world would hmm. that be? And also, what kind of science would lead would lead to that? Or and stem so I kind of from Made it. up this kind of whole. Yes, exactly. And so I made up this kind of whole fake physics of thanatons, these death particles. <laughs> nice uh and and this uh kind of um physics or this uh kind of way of interacting with them called subjective mathematics which is a kind of mathematics that only humans can do not computers um and it kind of takes place in what is kind of like a voight comp test in blade runner in which like you interview the person who wants to know what their death date is and you have to do the calculations by hand but you like say a nonsense phrase at them they say the first thing that comes into their mind and you have to look up that that phrase and all these like analog books and then say the next phrase and do this whole interview, which just sounds like this weird nonsense poem. That's how the person comes to find uh, how, what time and date the person is going to die. But the um, but the more you do subjective math, the more the you can sense the math of others, in particular the math of computers and just being around computers and feeling their math, feeling the way they calculate starts to kind of drive you a little bit insane mm. um, and, or just even being around a cell phone or using one. And so, and I kind of wanted to get away the, through that, the kind of feeling that we're all, or at least I was starting to feel with computers that like, it, 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 it feels starting to feel icky now in a way that didn't, you know, for almost all my life. Um, and so and I wanted to get to the, kind of like the dark side of startup culture, like how, I, I don't know, there is something about, it was kind of like, we can save the world, we can change the world, kind of messianic or like the Free Software Foundation or like, hey, information wants to be free. Like, hey, let's all share this cool stuff online. And now it, it, it feels, it does not feel that cool mm, anymore. Yeah. It feels kind of like monetized and surveilled. And um, I wanted to get across that icky feeling. Um, but it's also about like uh, the history of America before the Europeans came here. It's about like the rise and fall of civilizations. It's about haunted video games. <laughs> um, it's about the, the one... It's, it's about uh, uh, satanic messages and top 40 music um it's about um the the one who you loved and lost earlier in your life and and who got away and and in like and and basically it's about like knowing when you're going to die but it's also about you know coming to terms with the life that you've lived um and 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 yeah and so that's that's what and, it's and, about. Uh, that's my so
0: opinion. yeah it sounds somewhat volitional uh, one might say um it's so it's i think it's volitional and uh broken broken so uh, is this a standalone book or is this part of a series that you're doing once you get to the end of the book you realize there is no way oh you know what <laughs> that is so refreshing <laughs> and where's uh who's publishing it
1: quirk, quirk books. books all right They're the other one's they, I think they published uh, like the last policeman, mm. um, and I think they might have, uh, uh, which is a book about like this guy. They, they're the ones who did like Pride and Prejudice and sure, Zombies. Sure, sure. I just um, need to. And, and I did, need to
0: write them a note and say thank you for publishing somebody in speculative fiction and not forcing it to be a series necessarily. So, uh.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm writing two other books for them, but um, they're, they're not in a series. Um, and uh, like for me, like the perfect kind of ending for something is. And I know a lot of people will say, that's a terrible ending. But I love the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Hmm. Like, here's something that goes from, like, the dawn of man to (laughs) Jupiter and infinity. Like, it goes from the beginning of humankind to the end of humankind. And and I I love the breadth of it. I love how, like, that's the thing. I love how it feels like it can't go any other place. And then, of course, 2010 comes (laughs) out. And then 2061, (laughs) like, Arthur C. Clarke. Just couldn't leave a good enough thing alone. And it reminds me of I was reading, uh, um, uh, oh, poor, um, Douglas Adams. Right. He, uh, Hitchhiker's in, Good. In, in, he, was, he yeah, he was, uh, talking about reading this book, uh, that was called The Lost Worlds of 2001. And it was kind of a, uh, conversation between, it was like Arthur C. Clarke and, uh, Stanley Kubrick talking about like their vision for the movie, and, and throughout the whole thing, Arthur C. Clarke is saying, "Oh, Kubrick left this part out, and he Kubrick left this part out." And Douglas Adams said, "You come away from the book with a great respect for Stanley Kubrick." <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it, so, yeah, yeah, it didn't have to go on. 2010, 2061, whatever else, were completely unnecessary. But like, I, I love the end of, like, I love a mind-blowing mm. ending. I love an ending that makes you sit in a mystery in which not everything is totally tied up and you kind of, it, it, it's broken. You feel free. You feel like something is ended and a new thing has begun. We can't even imagine what that new thing is going to be. Um, and that, that's my kind of Right on.
0: Well, okay, so I got to ask you one final question when it comes to determinism okay. and that is well i guess uh it's a series of questions the first one is have you seen oh. the 2009 nick cage movie called knowing
1: no but i know about where it came okay. from all right
0: so it's a if this so, is it, it this sounds okay, like go, it's a no, bit of a pet topic for you so please go watch that movie and
1: uh you know return and report let me know what you think of it um well, okay. I know because I do a podcast with my friend Matt Bird called "The Secrets of Story," and this movie is a bugaboo of his because he keeps—he's like a would-be scriptwriter—and he kind of like he keeps his eyes in the trades. and He like, oh my god, what a perfect premise for a movie! Like there, like a bunch. You see, like I think the the you know the the what do you call it? The pitch for it was like like. Uh, somebody sees like all these pictures that children had done of like various disasters, like nine eleven. It was a a, a single sheet
0: of paper with seemingly random numbers scrawled on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, okay,
1: okay, but that's that's the thing. I I know, but that's what it became. Oh, I see. The original pitch was there. There was a a a, he unearthed like a, a bunch of pick childish pictures from like before 9-11 all these various emergencies in which the kids had pictures of all these emergencies happening, like childish pictures of the two towers coming down or whatever. And it's like, oh my gosh, how did this come to be? And 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 then you know trying to figure out how these kids knew it. And then somehow through development of this story, it came out to the least cinematic thing of like, well, what if we get rid of these kids' pictures and just have a bunch of numbers? Uh, um, what if we just do numbers, which nobody cares about, and, and, and is not <laughs> so your so your buddy did not care for this movie. No, did you? See I it and like I it? love it.
0: I to this day I love it. Oh, I am, okay. uh, <laughs> it's it's me and when he was still alive, Roger Ebert basically holding down the fort. Uh, he I, uh-huh. I I came out of the theater and I, you know my brain's firing on all cylinders and I can recognize there were some hokey parts of it. Like I'm not I'm not here to say it was a perfect movie or anything, but I really loved it. I uh, got home. And I'm looking up all the reviews online and everybody hated it. And I'm like, wait, what? Uh-huh. Like, I Again, I get it, It's not perfect. You want to poke holes in it? Totally fine. I get to Roger Ebert. He's like four stars. And he had this, he <laughs> for like four months, this giant mega thread on his website of people commenting. He's commenting <laughs> and like going back and forth and getting into all these discussions of determinism and free will and all this stuff. And it was just, it was, I, I love that movie. So.
1: So I live in Chicago, mm. um, and you know here, you know it, it's St. Roger Ebert. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, everybody absolutely. loves him, and I, I love him too as a personality. But this guy was wrong all the time. <laughs> he hated, he hated blue velvet. He hated, uh, um, uh, um, he he hated aliens. That is
0: that is weird. Um, that that's weird.
1: Uh, um, he, I, I think. They had a split decision on Silence of the mm. Lambs, and I think he, I think it might have been Siskel who said no, and he was thumbs up. Um, I, he hated um, Lost Highway. He um, was th- this guy. He, he he
0: and I were not it, no, perfect. it wasn't perfect, but uh, we were simpatico on knowing, and also on the first two Harry Potter movies, the Chris Columbus movies being the best ones. Yeah, yeah, They're, they are the best ones, uh, and it's not even close
1: you're a man of error you're a man of profound error uh, uh you have many errors in your in your life and you should reconsider oh, boy. all of the mistakes you've made <laughs> on in judgment and now and now i'm wondering should that's i, be on I was this gonna podcast? say i was gonna say yeah do you regret <laughs> that
0: my judgment led to you being on this podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: i know i I'm, I'm starting to wonder what i'm doing here uh, uh um, you know, I, I will say, okay, here is a great story about Ebert. Um, th- this is why I will love Ebert forever. Uh, um, so uh, Vincent Gallo, uh, you know, famous, actor famously did uh, Buffalo mm-hmm. 66, which is a great movie. But he also did a terrible movie called The Brown Bunny. Um, and uh, Ebert panned yeah. it. He said he hated the movie. Uh, Vincent Gallo comes back to him and just says, like, basically, you're fat. You know, <laughs> right. just like, a, like a, a fat joke at him. And um, Ebert famously came back and said, it is true that I am fat. But one day I will be thin, but you will always be the director of the Brown
0: Pony. <laughs> that is a pretty good one.
1: <laughs> if, I could ri- if I could write insults like
0: him, no no guest would ever come back to this show. That's, I think that's safe to say. Uh, all right. Well, awesome. James Kennedy, thank you so much for doing this. I These are the kinds of discussions that I really like where we dig into one specific topic um, if for anybody who listens to the show, uh, you know, we do the wheel of tangents sometimes, and we kind of have to keep our discussions to five minutes so that we can spin the wheel again. And this, I actually often prefer this type of thing. Like, okay, let's do 30 minutes and deep dive on something. So, uh, yeah, appreciate you doing this and, uh, and hope to have you back at some point. Great. I'll be back next
1: week. I'll be back next week. Cool. I'll be back <laughs>
0: next week. Sure. I got all kinds of so, stuff to say. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> everybody <laughs> needs to go check out dare to know, uh, yeah, published by what What was the name of the publishing house again? Quirk, Quirk books. books. Yeah, no, absolutely. Go, yep. go check it out, yep. please. Um, I, I'm going to go grab one for my shelf over here. So go check it out, James. Uh, tell me your, can I, can I do one more?
1: Can I do one more pitch? Do one it. more pitch. I, I also run a oh film festival for kids called the 92nd Newberry okay. festival in which kids make short movies to tell the entire stories of Newberry winning books in about oh. 90 seconds. So like Charlotte's Web or A Wrinkle in Time or whatever. You can find out everything you want to know at 90secondnewberry.com, 90newberry1r.com. And, and kids put weird twists on it. They'll be like Charlotte's Web, but in the style of a horror movie or The Tale of Despereaux, but as a musical. It doesn't have to be only 90 seconds. But it can be a couple minutes. But uh, we screen this all over the country in like more than 10 cities, at least before COVID we did. And uh, it's a lot of fun. If you have kids. Um, or, or if you know kids who like to make movies, um, let them know about it. It's,
0: it's so, great. Okay, awesome. Uh, 92ndNewberry.com, is that what you said? Okay, yes. so check that mm-hmm. out. And then give us uh, your your other websites again. Um, oh, JamesKennedy.com.
1: Okay. Um, Where you can also learn about my first book, uh, The Right, Order and of what's Ops your podcast? Uh, the Secrets of Story with Matt Bird and All James right. Kennedy. All right perfect all right james
0: thank you so much and thanks everybody for listening uh please go to thelegendarium.com it's just pitch central around here so go to thelegendarium.com patreon all that <laughs> stuff um yeah i'll end my pitches early all right thanks again and uh yeah well, i'll see you next thank time thank
1: you